Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 166. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. So, it's springtime, officially now. Uh, what, on March 20th or so, it became spring again. We're well, uh, we're at the end of March now. But I've got one of those springtime you know, getting used to the uh, new pollen and whatnot in the air, budding flowers and all that crap that messes with your head. You get kind of like a cold allergy thing. My throat is kind of scratchy. I can't hear because my head is all stuffed up, um, which makes it interesting to do a podcast, not to mention just functioning in the world because you're always like, what? What? Because your, your ears are all stuffed up with whatever demon seed is infecting you because it's springtime. But I will try to muddle through. I hope everything's going well for you guys. Let's see. Let's find out if it's going well for this guy. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mac Hughes. Mad Mac Hughes. Over there on the Twitter at This Is Rocket Man, he posted, or whoever runs this account, posted in late March. I guess this would be March 22nd. Pat the Samaritan pounds stakes in the desert, which will be used to secure the rocket ramp on takeoff. All right, so they're actually doing construction, I guess. The rest of the post is, this infamous Amboy crater can be seen in the background. The post before, before a couple of days before that has a quote from Fighter in the Kid, Fighter, capital N, the Kid, in reference to Mad Mike's rocket launch, evidently, quote, he doesn't look crazy at all, exclamation point, close quote. All right, so I'm checking out the picture on Instagram of this uh, dude pounding in stakes and whatnot. Yep, there's a dude with a hammer either pounding in a stake or preparing to finish off somebody. I'm not sure. Okay, there's, ah, man, I accidentally, I accidentally liked that picture. Oops, oh well. So I guess that means we're getting close to a launch? I don't know. They've been saying they're going to launch another rocket for however long I've been doing this Mad Mike update thing. Over there on the Facebook, there's not much going on on Facebook. If you type in Rocket Man in the search bar at Facebook, you get stuff about the Elton John biopic Rocket Man, which, i got to be honest, sounds way more interesting than anything to do with Mad Mike. Nothing new that I can see on MadMikeHughes.com. His movie, of course, is also called Rocket Man. Either way... If you get confused which Rocket Man you want to go see, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because one of them, because I can't imagine these two movies being anything alike. So what I'm saying is, look closely at your tickets, people. Uh, if you sign up, uh, if you buy tickets to one of these movies. I think the takeaway from today's Mad Mike Hughes update is, go see the Elton John movie. Seriously. That's where you should spend your money. Alright, let's close the uh, mailbag. I keep calling it a mailbag, so I'm going to keep calling it a mailbag. My show and all that. Um, let's close it up. Do something else. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mac Hughes. Mad Mac Hughes. All right, in other news, 
We are now a couple weeks out from the Midwest Gaming Classic in Milwaukee. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Get to go meet people, get to soak up some popular culture, uh, check out some games. I'm sure I'll make some purchases while I'm there. Uh, I don't have anything specific that I'm looking for, but uh, I'm sure I'll find things. I'm sure my kid will find things that he wants, and my daughter not so much. She's not into the whole game thing, or really any of the sort of classic pop culture stuff. But I'm really looking forward to it. going to talk about the podcast. I'm sure I'll get a plug in there occasionally for It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. The other thing I'm excited about, and I mentioned this last week, Midwest Gaming Classic is sort of unofficially, officially the launch, so to speak, of my book, Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. It's a collection of some of the short stories you've heard on this podcast, and I, I slapped them all between the pages of a book, put a cover around it, and uh, ta-da, uh, it's ready. You, you actually can order it now. It is gradually getting up to different online retailers. I'm hoping eventually, maybe at this point, I haven't checked out all of them. You can probably order at least in print right now from wherever you like to get your books. The ebook is coming. It's not up yet as I record this. I hope it will be up soon. Uh, or if, if you're going to be in Milwaukee the weekend of April 12th, stop by the Midwest Gaming Classic and buy a book from me. I'll be selling them at the Atari Bytes table. I'll be autographing them if you so desire. If you want me to stay the hell away from your book with my stupid pen and my awful handwriting, because honestly, it is awful, uh, that's cool too. Uh, you can still buy a book. Uh, the print book. I will not have the ebooks there because, you know, ebooks. Um, but they're coming. Uh, you'll be able to order ebooks soon if that's your thing. You can order the print books now. I may have said that already, but I did an edit here, so I can't remember exactly what I said. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Misery Banana. Very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. Get yours today. Alright, let's move on to this week's game. This week's game is... Will you dig your Atari books craving for new action? Yeah, obviously, it's Space Attack. What? It was right there in the commercial. They showed an image of Space Attack in the commercial. Were you not paying attention? Here, uh, I, I had to turn the sound off for audio purposes, but uh, I'll play it back, and uh, and you watch real closely. There, did you see it this time? All right. Well... We are. We're playing. Uh, we're playing Space Attack. It's another M Network game this week. We did an M Network game last week as well, uh, which is a little frustrating from a visual standpoint because usually I use uh, an image of the art off the cartridge to, uh, you know, as the um, as the icon for each week's episode. This week and last week, I couldn't do that because the art on the cartridge is just a black cartridge. And that would look a little weird as an icon. So, no uh, no Space Attack icon this week. But, you know, we'll try to muddle through. Space Attack is a 1982 game. You all know this. It's a game we've all enjoyed before, back when it was called Space Battle. Actually, that's a lie. Here, I'm 
uh, spoiling things for later, but I didn't like this game when it was Space Battle. So, anyway, let's talk about how you play it in case uh, there are some of you who don't know. The object of the game is to defend your mothership from attacking aliens. You have three squadrons, each with three ships. Uh, each squadron has three ships. Aliens have a, have six fleets of varying sizes. So I'm guessing there's a little fleet envy going on there. Parentheses, only three fleets appear at a time on the radar screen. Close parentheses. Destroy all alien fleets and you win! Exclamation point. If your squadrons are destroyed first, the aliens move in and annihilate the hidden mothership. I'm playing this for the Atari, obviously. The game. Establish strategy in radar mode. Ugh, radar mode. You see a radar view of space, with alien fleets moving toward the inner rectangle where your mothership is, is hidden. You do not see the mothership. Select an alien fleet to attack, then dispatch one of your squadrons, blue, white, or gold. After it, dispatch one, two, or, or all three squadrons, but only one squadron per alien fleet at a time. All capital letters, so pay attention. Your squadrons appear in the center of the screen only after you dispatch them. Take your squadron into battle mode when it reaches its target fleet and starts blinking. In battle mode, you look out into space through your laser gun sight as alien ships engage you in a space dogfight. Move your gun sight ahead of an alien ship and fire. Your laser comes from the bottom of the screen and converge at the point where your gun sight was when you fired. Watch out for return fire. This, this gun sight delayed reaction thing takes a little getting used to, but it does look kind of cool. Alien photon blasts are fired from the alien ships at your gun sight. If they turn red and hit your gun sight, then d they destroy one of your ships. Numbers that they, they really like the capital letters here. More capital letters coming. Numbers at the bottom of the screen indicate number of ships remaining in the alien fleet, left, and number of ships remaining in your squadron, right. You automatically return to radar mode when you shoot down an entire alien fleet or lose your squadron. If your squadron survived the battle, it remains in place until you dispatch it again. Go after the next alien fleet until all are destroyed. A siren warns when you warns you when the mothership is under attack. The siren gets faster as the mothership sustains more damage. The game ends if the mothership is destroyed. You can use either joystick controller with this game. That's right, you can swing both ways if you so desire. I only used the left joystick when I was playing around with this game this morning because, you know, habit. To start the game, press down on the reset switch, pull down on the left joystick. In radar mode, you select an alien fleet by pulling the joystick down repeatedly until selected alien fleet turns purplish color. Hold the button down and then up for the white squadron, squadron, left for blue, right for gold. To dispatch a squadron, hold the red button down while moving joystick to up, left, or right position. To take a squadron into battle, when the squadron reaches an alien fleet and starts blinking, move the joystick to up, left, or right position without pressing the red button. I find this all unnecessarily annoying and confusing, and I hate the radar screen. I will probably say that more than once in this episode. To re-dispatch a squadron, follow steps 1 and 2 above. In battle mode, move the joystick in any direction to guide the gun sight where you wish your lasers to hit. Keep the gun sight away from red alien fire, which seems sort of obvious. Press the red button to fire your lasers. Left difficulty switch controls how well the aliens fight. Battle is much more fierce in uh, hard position, A, than in easy position, B. And I can attest to that. I started in A and I was like, whoa, I can't do this because uh, I'm inadequate. So I switched to B pretty quickly. In easy position B, no activity on the radar screen while you are in battle mode. Computer does not fight battles for you. In hard position A, all activity on the radar screen continues when you are in battle mode, but at one quarter normal rate. If any other dispatch squadron reaches its target fleet, 
Battle begins, and the computer fights for you, losing roughly one of your ships for every four alien ships destroyed. Both left and right difficulty switches should be set at the same difficulty level. I didn't pay attention to that. Uh, I don't know if the other switch is in B or not. Winning tips. Dispatch your first squadron after the alien fleet closest to the mothership. If possible, do not dispatch more than one squadron at a time when playing with the right difficulty switch in hard position. Number two, try to hold one squadron in reserve in case an alien fleet makes it to the inner rectangle. You can reach the threatening alien faster from the mothership than from the uh, from another position in space. Three, in battle mode, keep your gun sight moving. Alien photon blasts home in on your gun sight if it remains in place for long. Four, as soon as you finish one battle with the squadron, send it back out after another fleet. Don't leave it sitting idle in space. Important, more capital letters, be sure to turn your dam unit off when not in use. This is your dad speaking. Also, turn off the light in the other room after you leave. Don't leave the door open. Don't hold the refrigerator door open. Stop twitching like that. This is all important stuff you need to know. What? What? Well, I'm your dad, so that's why. Uh, oh, sorry, I drifted off there. Uh, and then finally, 30-day limited warranty, in case you were wondering. And that is how you play Space Attack. The video game critic gave Space Attack a C-minus grade, calling M-Network's attempt at a first-person space shooter a mixed bag, noting that the controls are confusing, meaning you have to consult the manual. When one of your fleets meets the enemy, you switch to a battle screen that lets you move across here and shoot enemies. Uh, the critic did like that the explosion of one enemy ship can take out another, and notes that you either win or lose the game. You don't get a score. Fun fact, apparently, Space Attack was originally supposed to be based on the TV show Battlestar Galactica, which at that point in history would have been the original late 70s, early 80s Battlestar Galactica, not the newer, darker Battlestar Galactica, which I've never seen. But I know I saw the original. I was pretty little, but I'm sure I did. And my friends and I played Battlestar Galactica. I always got to be Starbuck, who in the show was the legendary Dirk Benedict, who has the best name ever. Uh, he, of course, went on to play Face in the A-Team, and then after that went on to do not much else. There was an interview in 2006 by Scott Stilfen, uh, an interview with Hal Finney, a prolific game designer, of course, and one of the questions they asked him was, uh, well, actually, I didn't realize this last week when I talked about Dark Cavern, but they asked him about Dark Cavern, and here's what he said about that. Uh, quote, I always thought Dark Cavern was... Dark Cavern was one of my more successful porting efforts. There was the usual Atari flashing when we all uh, when we did too many sprites on a scan line, too many sprites on a scan line, but it wasn't too bad. In fact, I think I may have even adjusted the AI, such as it was, of the bad guys to try to avoid that. They would turn away if they were going to get on the same line as others. We couldn't control the player's motion, of course, so it wasn't prevented altogether. The game played very smoothly on the 2600, and the Atari controller was really better than the Intellivision wheel for getting around corners. I turned the programmer for the 2600 controller, which had only four directions. Editor's note, actually eight directions, compared to 16 for the wheel. If you were in a north-south corridor and pressing right or left, and you were almost to an, an intersection, I'd keep you going uh, until you got there and then switched uh, to the direction you had pushed. It sounds obvious, but not every game did that kind of thing. The result of that is that it's got a very slick feel, and you can slide around corners easily, quickly shoot and duck back, that kind of thing. 
I enjoyed playing it quite a bit when I was doing the programming. Alright, sorry I got distracted there. I was looking for the question they asked him about space attack. Okay, so the question was, is it true Space Battle and its M-Network counterpart Space Attack was to be based on Battlestar Galactica? Was the problem that Mattel couldn't secure the rights for it? Answer. Quote, Yes, originally it was going to be based on BG, but I'm not sure of the specifics of why it had to be changed. Originally there was music based on the BG theme song, which got taken out. The ships were originally supposed to look like Cylon flying saucers, and that never changed. The graphics back then were crude enough that the resemblance wasn't strong enough to be concerned. Follow-up question. What changes, if any, were made to the game after that happened, beside the name, besides the name change? Answer. I can't remember anything else that was changed. I think the decision to change the name was done pretty early on in the development process. It's not like we had a complete BG game and had to go back and change it. In practice, the main hard part with those early games was making everything, graphics and program, fit in the 4-kilobyte uh, cartridges. So there you go. Right there from Hal Finney himself. Alright, well it's not Battlestar Galactica, but we're going to try and press on. Uh, while you're listening to the rest of, sh- of the show, just imagine that instead of me, it's gorgeous, clever, almost sexy as me, Dirk Benedict talking to you. Or, you know, if you prefer, Mr. T. Whatever works for you. After the break... Do you feel you need your space? Well, don't just take it. Attack it! Yeah, that's pretty stupid. For some reason at my house, the home improvement shows are always on. My family seems to really get into those. And in every one of them, the people who own the home always get a new backsplash, a new master bedroom, and a new open concept floor plan. I, as a change of pace, would like to see a home improvement show where they take a house that already has an open concept floor plan and just go nuts. The home improvement person is like, I'm going to deal with this space. I hate space. I'm going to attack this space. And they just go crazy. They build more walls. They lower the ceilings. They raise the floors. They put in a lot more beams because beams are cool. Until eventually, there's just enough room for the owner of the house to walk through and still lightly brush the wall on either side with their shoulders. And You know, an average-sized human. If you're a big person, well, too bad for you. If you're a smaller person, well, that's still too much space. Let's move in the walls even closer. That's what I would like to see. And they're going to call the show Space Attack. Okay, that actually has nothing to do with anything today, but I've had a lot of coffee this morning, so let's move on. All right, we're playing Space Attack, and uh, yeah, we're going to do that now, so let's do that. All right, I've got my radar screen up. Yeah, we're going to call out the squadron. The enemy ships move really slow. Where's my guy? There he is. Moving even slower. You'd think he'd be in a bit more of a hurry. Oh, here we go. Gonna engage the enemy. Blink, blink, blink. Alright, I'm in battle. I think the the radar screen is crap. But I think the battle scene is awesome. You got the star field, the blinking stars in the background. The explosions look really good. The enemy ships look great. I love the, uh... Now I'm back on the radar screen. Alright, 
dude, don't go to that guy. Go to the other guy. I'm gonna pick my squadron any day now. Alright, here we go. No, don't go away from him. You dummy. I hate this radar screen. Uh-oh. That's not good. Engage. No, what are you doing? Did I mention uh, more than once that I hate this radar screen? And now I'm dead. I could play that again, but I'll just talk about it in the analysis later. Back to you in the studio. Hey, Atari fans. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. So here's the thing about Space Attack. I really, 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 really like the space battle part of Space Attack. I really, 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 really hate the radar screen. I think it's unnecessary. I know what they're going for. I think I said the same thing about Space Battle, uh, whatever, what the Intellivision version, back when I did that, whenever that was. But as much as I hated playing that game on the Intellivision because of the awkward controls and the, uh, and the keypad and all that, I think I'm thinking of the right game. As much as I hated that, I think it's worse here because you're trying to do it with just the joystick. And it's clunky and it's annoying and it's stupid and I don't like it. If you didn't quite catch my drift there, I don't like it. But anyway, like I said, I really like the battle part, so that raises my grade if I were inclined to give a grade, which I'm not really on this show. Just let it be known. If I could get somebody, if I had friends, and I could get a friend who was willing to just do the radar screen part and then quickly hand me the joystick so I can do the battle part, that would be sweet. I would be perfectly happy with that. All right, other things that make me happy? Story time. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story. Story, story, story time. With Bill. This week's story is titled, It's People I Can't Stand but I can stand with them. The bunker door slammed open with the heavy kerchunk of steel on steel. Two unshaven Space Force enlisted men, both young, barely out of Space Force school, cautiously peered out. The gorgeous, star-filled night was belied by the blast of the invading alien fleet in the distance. Here and now, though, it seemed relatively safe. The men stepped out of the bunker, hoisting a gurney between them. You sure about this? The much taller but slightly younger one said. Doc says the only thing for him. The war effort comes first, eh? The shorter one replied. Let's get on with it. Poor bastard, the first one said, lowering his end of the gurney. The other cadet did the same, and they set about undoing the straps that bound Archie McManigle. He started to stir as the sedative wore off, and the cadets scurried back inside, sliding the massive bunker door shut behind them. Waking now, Archie McManigle, age 43, beamed at the open sky above even as the alien ships moved ever closer. Five hours earlier. (laughs) 
I got here as soon as I could, Olivia said. Traffic was intense. I took the number 9 to the number 14. The tunnel at Ridgeway was clogged with soldiers waiting for transport to the battle zones. Everywhere is so crowded these days. I curse this damn war, Jack said. But the energy in the air is electrifying. Not just because of laser battles, Olivia said, setting down her latte ration and government-issued air horn. A quiet little laugh. Then Olivia looked down at the clean-shaven face of her dear, if eccentric friend, and asked, How is he? Jack took a deep breath. Some of the hairs on his luxuriant beard were caught in the updraft. Who knows? The doctor sure don't. Archie was down in the marketplace when someone stepped on his toe. No big deal. Happens all the time. In the bunker. That's why we have government-issued steel-toed boots. But Archie had a meltdown. He was gasping for air, sweating, swatting at people. People moved in to try and calm him down, but that seemed to make it worse. He had some sort of seizure. People backed off then, and the seizure stopped. Olivia shook her head. The lights in the room flickered as the invading forces shook the bunker with their laser cannons. Why'd they put straps on him? she asked. Well, when the medtechs brought Archie into the infirmary, he woke up, leapt from the gurney, and hugged General Fitzhugh while screaming, I know how to end this war! Unfortunately, at the time, the general was in the middle of his, um, twice-weekly sperm exam and did not appreciate the interruption. The leader of the resistance is taking time out for fertility treatment? No, Jack said. He just likes to take the little guys out for a run now and then. Anyway, the general had Archie sedated, strapped down, and brought in here. Dr. Genevieve Queenly entered the room, wearing the expression of a woman who has seen it all and is bored by most of it. She was trailed by duckling-like interns, and the small room filled up fast. The monitors taped to Archie's chest, arms, and head beeped faster, and the interns scribbled intently on their electronic devices. On a gesture from Dr. Queenley, she and the interns stepped back two paces. Archie's vitals leveled at almost normal. Queenly gestured again, the interns moved in closer, and Archie's heart raced even faster. They moved back again on her gesture, Archie returned to normal. Dr. Queenly nodded in silent confirmation of her own earlier diagnosis. She did that a lot. It seemed most of the time the only one that she believed was herself. What's going on with him, doctor? Livia asked. Dr. Queenly looked dramatically into the middle distance. It was a long bit of drama. Olivia got impatient. Jack got uncomfortable. He hated awkward silences. He was known to have wet his pants on more than one elevator ride. Finally, Dr. Queenly says, I'm afraid your friend Archie has suffered a massive, more dramatic pausing, space attack. Jack gasped. <coughs> a particularly well-timed explosion overhead punctuated the moment. Olivia cocked her head. You're making that up. If you don't know what's wrong with him, say so. It's a phenomenon, the doctor said that has developed since society moved into the bunker to escape the devastation outside. For some, the close quarters we live in invigorates them. They feed off it. They are stimulated by being surrounded by so many. For others, these crowded conditions have an opposite effect. They go mad. Complete rejection of society sometimes. Archie isn't rejecting society, Olivia objected. He's just nerdy. At that, Archie sat bolt upright. Well, he made it about 45 degrees up, anyway, before the arm straps pulled him back down. 
Shouting to be heard, he sang, All by myself, don't want to be all by myself anymore. He paused then and said, That's a crock. I'd love to be all by myself. Think of all the waffles. Archie laughed for a full minute, and it made Jack really uncomfortable. The laughter choked in Archie's throat as the interns, pens and pads in hand, moved him moved closer to him, trying to see if Archie actually had a stitch in his side from all the laughter. Archie shook and gasped until Dr. Quinley injected him with something she would only call just something I whipped up over the lunch hour. I call it syringe surprise. The surprise, it turned out, was just that it was a tranquilizer that knocked Archie out. Dr. Queenley turned to the nearest intern. We will implement quarantine protocol. Now the intern gasped. <coughs> it was a pretty good gasp, Jack thought. Wait, Archie said, groggy, but still listening. Quarantine sounds like, like more confined spaces. A quick grunt and Archie snapped one, then the other strap that held him to the bed. He bolted from the room, fully alert now. Archie ran the halls of the bunker, eluding capture for hours. He desperately wanted somewhere that the walls wouldn't close in on him, where he wouldn't feel so alone, surrounded by so many. The thing about a bunker, though, is that while it keeps the violence out, it locks the fear in. And it was at that point that Archie McManagle had a brilliant idea. Also a splitting headache, because the chief of security clubbed him over the head for trespassing in the bunker's bocce ball arena. The quarantine protocol was initiated, Olivia was detained for interference with official acts, and Jack was fined for public urination. Both would serve a week or two deodorizing the bunker, but for now they had bigger problems. Alone outside the bunker now, Archie looked up at the sky, stars intermittently pockmarked with squadron after squadron of would-be enemy invaders. Every so often, a laser array from the planetary defense would release a laser bolt. I hate people, Archie muttered, then corrected himself. I love mankind, he clarified. It's people I can't stand. He wondered where he'd heard that before. No matter, but he really hoped the invaders felt the same, because he had a plan. Archie, who'd always been good at climbing, scaled the laser array. The way was lighted by enemy flares around him. Oddly, the enemy didn't shoot directly at him. When Archie tap-tap-tapped on the control booth window, the startled gunner there didn't quite know what to do. His mother, though, had always told him not to be rude, so he rolled down the window. Archie climbed in, shoved his way to the communication console, and radioed the general in command. When he explained what he wanted to do, what he wanted the general to do, the general was dubious. But, frankly, the planet was going down. The planet's own squadrons had taken heavy losses, the controls that came with the new ships were awkward and hard to use. The shipment of adapters to make the old controllers work with the new ships had been delayed. Things, in short, were not going well. Not well at all. So, the general said, What the hell? We'll try your idea. An hour later, the entire population of the bunker, all 10,000 of them, poured out through the gate and stood in the wasteland that had once been a national park. They locked hands and stared up at the enemy ships above. Archie and Jack were uneasy on many levels with so many people around. Olivia just rolled her eyes, certain that they were going to die in the stupidest way possible. The general gave the order to his soldiers to put down their weapons, and they reluctantly did so. All the people just stood, waiting, inviting devastation or vindication for their, sometimes reluctant, belief that if the enemy could see who they were shooting at, they might not do so. The invaders' lasers fell silent. The whole planet, in fact, fell silent. The silence was overwhelming. Jack dribbled a little. Archie tried to hum through clenched teeth, 
Really, though, he was happy when no one joined him in this because that would make this corny moment even cornier. The general, for his part, assumed that any moment now the invaders would open fire and wipe all of them out. He took a bit of comfort, though, in the knowledge that at least if they were all destroyed, there would be no one to remember him as the boneheaded general that screwed the planet. But then, as you've no doubt predicted, the enemy ships one by one engaged hyperspace engines and left this quadrant of space. Would they be back? Probably. This at least gave some breathing room, though, to open one-on-one -on -one negotiations of peace, and the general knew just who would be drafted to lead those negotiations. He looked over at Archie McManigal, who at that moment was doing the funky chicken and periodically joyfully licking Jack's and Olivia's cheeks. Well, maybe the provisional government could get another negotiator. <laughs> And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes update theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, because, uh, which you know because you're listening to one. Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Radio Public, which I think is the one that I use now. On and on and on. Make sure that wherever you go to listen to this show, you also attack the space inhabited by Apple Podcasts and leave a review there so that the squadrons of listeners can find the mothership that is this podcast. And now, of course, you can call the show. Leave us a voicemail about any damn thing you want at 563-265-1978. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. I'm still looking for ideas for things you would like to see in the store. The website is ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Check us out on Instagram as well. And don't forget to check out, while you're checking out things, uh, my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown where you can get all your Peanuts-related needs. Need your Snoopy fix? You can get it over there in whatever form Snoopy and all the Peanuts gang has existed. Comic strips, obviously. TV specials, movies, merchandise. The mind of Charles Schultz himself. Related projects. We've talked to uh, Jason Youngbluth about a graphic novel reimagining the Peanuts kids as adults. We've talked to playwrights. We've talked to authors. We've covered a lot of ground, we got a lot more to go, and you know you're a Peanuts fan, uh, and even if you're only a casual fan, you know people who are Peanuts fans. So you and they, and all of everyone in the world, should be listening to this podcast. So, do you want to turn your back on the world? I didn't think so. Check out It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, on the 15th of every month. Next time, on Atari Bytes. Millipede. Not for nothing. I happen to have not just the cartridge for this one. I have the manual and the box. I don't really remember why I have all those things, but I do. None of which has any bearing on the episode itself. I just wanted to throw that in there because I'm pretty proud. My in-box collection is fairly small at this point. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll pick some up at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic. But it's a small collection at this point, so I'm proud of the ones that I have. And for some reason, I have that one. Uh, we'll see if it makes next week's episode that much richer. Tune in to find out. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.